Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last, succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. So, this is the beginning of Romans, the letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome um, that is very clearly stated. Nobody's denying that. Actually, I read that uh, there were a few people who actually did deny that, but it's pretty easy to write off um, as he addresses the Romans stating Paul. And... If you did your homework since the last time we were together, um, you have read through the whole book of Romans. If you haven't yet, that's okay. Um, I read it and listened to it a few different times um, over the last week. And it really is an incredible book, but started off with an incredible intro per usual. Normally, uh, the writers of the New Testament start off with this incredible really summary of the gospel and it makes sense for this book um, because this is one of the most theologically dense uh, books uh, or letters that we see Paul write. Granted, it's not exhaustive 
as uh, like Ephesians is more targeted towards the church and church operations. Uh, we see in books like Philippians, where you see more of the theology of who Jesus is. So this definitely is sticking more around the whole gospel message um, from our our death within the state of humanity, our fallenness, all the way to the righteousness of God. So the, the wrath or the judgment of God and how we interact with that as human beings, and then what has happened because of the work and person of Jesus Christ that was willed by the Father, carried out by the Son, and now he has placed the delight um, of him in us, uh, the Holy Spirit. So it's really, uh, it's one of the longest letters um, that covers all of these topics. Um, and, And so it's really quite powerful. And there have been a number of different church leaders. Um, it, you have probably heard of churches spending years and years within the book of Romans. And that's, that's for a good reason. It's very dense. Um, but we see this greeting that's really incredible. Uh, I'm going to stop dragging on about just sort of the overview. Um, but we, we see this intro that really covers a lot um, of really the Christian life. It, we see Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. So we see Paul talking about his calling, um, that he's been called to be an apostle. So, so what he has been gifted in, he's been called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. And if you don't know um, your calling or maybe your spiritual gifting, or, or I think we've talked before about the offices uh, that's outlined in uh, Ephesians, uh, I encourage you to seek those out. Look up the, the spiritual gifts um, and be careful that you're sticking to scripture. Uh, let, let Google lead you to actual scripture and <laughs> discovering these things. And then there are the offices in Ephesians that look very similar. So he's been called by Jesus to be an apostle, set apart, set apart. Um, this is talking about holiness, that God chooses a people that would be set apart from the world to um, do the mission of God, which is to bring the gospel, the good news of who God is, not what God is asking us to do, but who God is, that we would delight in God. He would place his delight through the spirit of God, which he, so he promised beforehand through the prophets and the scriptures. So he highlights that the whole of the Old Testament is pointing towards what? The son of God, right? Um, it, the son of God concerning his son. So it says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy scriptures, talking about the old Testament, what they knew. Remember, they didn't have the new Testament, um, in their hands. This was being developed, um, inspired by God through the apostles and the writers of the new Testament. So Holy scriptures concerning his son. So he confirms here that the Old Testament was pointing, all pointing to his son, Jesus Christ, whom descended from David. This was a big deal to Jews, that he came from uh, David according to the flesh, right? So physically, he is a descendant of David, great King David. 
and was declared to be the son of God. This is important too. In power, according to the spirit of holiness. So the spirit of God pointed to the fact that he is the son of God. So he is fleshly qualified. He is spiritually qualified by God through the spirit of God. Paul's basically saying this is Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the son of God, um, was a descendant in the flesh, was, was qualified in the flesh as the, the high king, the high priest, and qualified by the spirit of God, right? He is Jesus. He is the savior and the Messiah, the son of God, um, by his resurrection from the dead. He has power over death, power over death. So then he makes the statement, Jesus, our Lord. So Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's the one who called um, Paul, set him apart uh, for the gospel of God. Um, and he was promised from the Old Testament and he was declared or, or a descendant from, from David in the flesh and declared to be the son of God by the spirit of God and affirmed that in his work that he resurrected from the dead. So Jesus Christ is our Lord through whom we now, this is who we are, right? He's talked about who Jesus is, the interaction of God with his people, who God is. And now he's talking about through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience and faith. So again, this is very, very dense. We see received grace. This is salvation and apostleship apostleship. So he's talking specifically about the apostles, but for all of us to take away from this is that the power to live the life that he has made available through the cross, um, that power comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus in the power of the spirit filling us, filling us to bring about the obedience of faith, faith. We're going to come back to that pretty heavy uh, as we talk through the rest of this, as he gets into the actual letter to bring about obedience. So obedience is following um, the words and the work of Jesus, uh, following the law that has, so Jesus came to fulfill the law, right? And, and this book Romans is going to be filled with, um, Paul talking about the law, I think it's referenced over 70 times. Um, so it's kind of a big deal. He talks about our interaction now as, as followers in the way of Jesus, followers of Jesus. Now in the New Testament post-cross, how do we interact with the law? So obedience is going to be a big deal in this book. Um, but the obedience of faith. So we are saved by grace. We are empowered by God to do the mission, apostleship, to bring about obedience and faith. And that's all his work. And the reason why we enter into the mission of God for the sake of his name, for the sake of his name, among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh. Anytime I hear that phrase, to belong to Jesus Christ, it's like a warm hug. Like I belong to the God of this universe who created all things and wrote out all of time. It's, it's incredible, man. Whew, whew, I love it. So 
received grace in salvation, empowered by God to obey and to have faith for the sake of his name. We don't do it for our sake. We do it for him. It's all in worship to him. And he wants that faith and that obedience spread among the nations that we would all go back to the purpose that we were created for, to bear God's image and to worship him, all the nations that we would worship him um, in obedience and faith, that we would look to him for his namesake, for the love of God, as we talked about uh, at the end of the gospel of John, including you who are called to belong to Christ. That, um, oh, and we've got to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be the saints, grace to you and peace from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the intro. So he comes in peace. Um, he brings grace and it, it, it just sort of frames, Hey, I'm a friend a fellow believer, and I'm writing to you. Uh, I love you guys because you're loved and called by God too. What what an intro. What an intro. So we could, we could stop right there, right? Um, but we're not. We're going to continue a little further because I want to tee up what we're going to jump into and really tee up this whole letter in that this is so rich and beautiful. He talks about who God is in verses one through four. Um, and then, and then in five and six, he's talking about how we get to interact with God as well. Um, and that's just his intro. Gotta love Paul's intro that he just lays out the fundamentals of what it means to see God for all that he is and to experience what God created us to experience and live in, in that obedience and faith and to live out the mission that he, he created us for. Then in verse seven, we see that he is pointing to who the letter is to. He says to all those in Rome. So he's writing to the church in Rome, those who follow after Jesus in Rome who are loved by God. And this is very, very important and called to be the saints. So in this day and age, we see uh, a little bit of uh, back and forth. So within our cities and cultures, without calling out like one instance in particular, I was talking to somebody about sort of uh, in issues with schools and sort of public schooling in general. And in order not to get dive too deep into it, there was a conversation had in a school board meeting that, that to me and this fellow believer was kind of appalling that it would even be brought up. But we have to understand that there is no standard um, necessarily like that things develop in our culture that become normal uh, for those outside of the faith, because we have to realize that we are held to a different standard by the spirit of God in us. And we're going to get into that in Romans uh, quite a bit, but it's important. He's starting off saying, this is a letter to the Romans who are loved by God and who are called to be saints. This is to the church and just to the church. So 
when we are initially teaching people who God is and telling them the good news of who God is, there's a moment of salvation where they turn and they enter into, um, some would call it converted. Uh, I know that that term carries baggage um, now and everybody wants to give Christians crap for the crusades or whatever it is. Yes, we are imperfect people following a perfect and holy God. Um, but in that moment, it's a personal moment between you and God where you see God for who he is. He opens your eyes. You see God for who he is. You see who you are and you see his saving grace and love and mercy poured out on the cross. And at that point, you lay down your life and you say, Jesus, I cannot do this on my own. I need you. And at that point, we see the spirit come in, the delight of God come in and illuminate. We've talked about this a lot on the uh, on the podcast. Um, open our eyes to the things of God that we literally have no ability. Uh, it's either in first or second Corinthians. We have no ability to discern the things that are within the Bible because they're spiritual things and they cannot be discerned by the carnal man, carnal man. I'm not offend, trying to offend anybody by calling everybody outside of the faith carnal, but that's the reality is that what are you living for but yourself? And w- Romans 1 is going to lay this out pretty thick. We're going to get into that next time. But we have to realize we cannot hold the world to a standard that they do not know and cannot understand. This is written to the Roman believers and they are those who have been called to be saints, whose eyes have been opened. In Ephesians 2, it says, we were dead, necros. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And we were uh, swayed by the prince of the power of the air and, and the ways of this world. We were sons of disobedience, but God came in. So he's talking about pe- he's talking to people who have experienced that but God moment. God came in and saved us. And this is important to remember as we get into this deep, thick theological stuff. This is not for the non-believer. The message of the gospel and who God is, is for the believer. Hopefully that makes sense. A lot of times we like to jump into this thick theology. Uh, The non-believer is not going to believe that or understand that without the power of the Holy Spirit. I just have to clarify that before we get into this book. If you are walking someone who does not believe in Jesus, to Jesus, um, you need to point them to the cross and just the cross, just the cross. Granted, can you take a lot of the concepts that are within this, um, the book of Romans, and use those to present the gospel? Of course. But a lot of this stuff is going to be over the non-believer's head. And I'm not saying they're dumb. Um, I am dumb without the spirit of God in me. I am dumb to this stuff. I cannot understand this stuff without the spirit of God. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, and, and pray into that, that the spirit would come in and open, open the eyes in the heart. Um, the eyes of the eyes of their heart to illuminate this stuff that they would understand and they would be able to, um, comprehend or at least apprehend what, what is being spoken. Um, but um, by and large, I, I see a lot of Christians just diving thick into this theological stuff 
to people who biblically it says they they won't understand this stuff without the power of the spirit it it's it just says it plain as plain as day in there so uh this is for you the believer those who know jesus who have been called to be saints and who are loved by god um so grace to you and peace he says uh, i'm i'm coming to you with grace and peace and then we get into um, verse 8. It says, First, I, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith. Um, it's proclaimed in all the world. So we see this, like, I almost, when I hear that, proclaimed in all the world, I see sort of this shockwave of faith that this church is known for faith which is really interesting because if you read the whole book of Romans, um, like I challenged you with, you'll see that that Paul really leans into a lot of the discrepancies between sort of Jewish tradition and the Jewish Christians as well as the Gentile Christians. And that's because where we're at with Rome, uh, there was an emperor by the name of Claudius who Actually, uh, I think one of the, I don't know if it, it, it was a Roman uh, scribe or historian wrote down um, that the Jews were sent away. Uh, the name is slipping me right now because it's kind of a long name. Uh, he wrote down that the Jews were sent away by Claudius for the reason of the dispute of Crestus. And it's believed that... Um, he got that mixed up that it was Christus, um, which is the Latin word for Christ, that it was the dispute of Christ that the Jews were sent away. Um, and you might ask, how did the message of the gospel get to Rome in the first place? Well, if you go back to Pentecost, uh, there were actually individuals present there. It says that those who were present at Pentecost, uh, some of them were visiting from Rome. So those individuals would have gone home, started to spread the gospel. Remember, 3,000 people were saved at Pentecost when Peter preached uh, the gospel to them. They would have gone home, started spreading the gospel. And the interesting thing is, even when Paul, is it in Acts 18? Uh, I apologize if if that's not where it is. But I think it's, Acts 18, where Paul meets this couple. Um, He meets a man and his wife who had been sent away from their home in Rome. And that couple was actually Priscilla and Aquila, um, who are are known throughout the New Testament as a couple who who were missionaries and they shared the gospel all over the place. Um, I think they they helped Apollo, Apollos. Um, sort of get back on track and sort of a famous New Testament couple who were sent away by Claudius from from Rome. So when the Jews were sent away from Rome, um, obviously the gospel had been preached there already. So the church was primarily made up of Gentile believers. Um, so those who were not Jews, who did not hold to the traditions um, of the Jewish traditions, 
and didn't really know the Old Testament as well as the Jewish believers would have. So then as Jews started to trickle back into Rome, as the um, there were other emperors that had stepped in at the current time, Emperor Nero, um, when Paul wrote this from Corinth, um, we we see Emperor Nero is is in leadership and he was kind of a madman. If you're a history buff, you know that Nero is like a man. He was a evil dude. He may have even like set fire to his own city so he could build his own buildings. It's just a crazy guy, obviously power hungry and loved himself. So as Jews were creeping back into Rome, uh, there of course was going to be these discrepancies with, with like, do we continue in these Jewish traditions? Um, while we follow Jesus. And you'll even hear that today because Jesus celebrated the feast. I'm actually one who I think it would be helpful. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to, actually I had a friend who, who uh, told me about a book that talks about all the feasts and festivals that uh, Jewish culture would uh, celebrate and still do celebrate to remember God. And uh, what's important about those feasts are the remembrance, but not holding people to the tradition of God that, that our salvation hinges on it. But there was this huge dispute, even Peter and James, like you see in a lot of these books that this was a major issue. What did the Jews do with the old Testament law? Um, now post cross. And so there's a little bit of a, a division within the church in Rome. Um, so, the fact that their faith is still echoing and shock waving out that Paul says, man, I've been wanting to go there because I hear about your faith. I hear about your faith. It's been proclaimed in all the world. That's incredible. So that's one of the reasons why Paul wants to go. Uh, I know that was a lengthy background, but that's sort of where we're at. Um, and that's, that's one of the reasons why Paul really leans into that issue between Jewish tradition and sort of the, the freedom that the Gentiles experienced uh, from that stuff. And, and obviously some of them probably didn't want to do those tradition traditions as well. Um, who wants to give up bacon, you know? So for God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit, in the gospel. So again, there's that, that um, emphasis on the gospel that he's, he's bringing the gospel that he's, Paul is constantly focused on the gospel of his son, that it's, it's the message of who Jesus is, not what Jesus wants us to do, but by seeing who Jesus is, that, that helps us to understand the why behind why we do the things that we do. That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. So the shockwaves of this faith has, has echoed into Paul's heart and he, he has a fondness for this group of people, even without um, knowing them, really knowing them yet. And so much so that he's praying for them, which to me is huge. It, you maybe see Paul as this spiritual giant, but there's this whole thing going around. I've heard it like so many times uh, as I hear preachers and teachers and speakers within the Christian world say, how many times when you say I'm praying for you? are you actually praying for that person? 
And it's kind of this like Christian call out right now, but, uh, but yeah, like that is true. Um, sometimes we say, man, I'll pray for you, but then we don't end up actually following through. And so make a point to actually pray for people. Um, when you say you're going to pray for them, I try to pray right then because I know I'm going to forget things. Um, and I know that sounds awful and insensitive, but I, I just know myself, I forget things. So, and, and I have a tendency to think about myself. Um, that's the reality of it. And we'll, we'll get into that again in Romans one, uh, always in my prayers, asking that somehow God, God's will by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So Paul really wanted to go to Rome several times. And we see in the book of Acts several times when the apostles are trying to go places and bring the gospel places, there's supernatural reasons that are keeping them from going. That might be situational, but driven by supernatural things. Uh, We even see at certain points in Acts where it says, but the spirit did not permit them to go. Uh, so we don't know the reasons that the, or, or the ways that the spirit was keeping them from going to these places, but obviously Paul hasn't been able to get to Rome yet. Uh, and he really wants to. So for, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. This is not spiritual gifts because Paul doesn't have the power to give people spiritual gifts. That's only by the spirit of God, but he's saying a spiritual gift, some spiritual gift. So what does this mean? To strengthen you. So this goes back to the offices that we see in Ephesians, that those offices are there to edify and to strengthen the body of Christ. So he wants to give what he has, but but realize, I've talked about the leadership monster before in that sometimes we look at church leaders, especially a guy like the apostle Paul, right? As, as someone to, it's someone who has it all and they just need to pour out on you. Like, like you have nothing to give, but they have so much to give. And there are those who have been walking with Jesus longer and God is using them as a vessel and will help you and strengthen you. I, I meet with a mentor on a regular basis. He has gone through life. He has raised kids. I have young kids. He's been a pastor a long time. I have been a pastor a short time. And so I have a lot to learn from him. But when I sat down with um, my mentor for the first time, he said, don't get it twisted. I'm here to learn from you as well. And and we see sort of this equaling that that we don't, we don't put ourselves as leaders up on a pedestal and we shouldn't put other leaders up on a pedestal above us because we see this equalizing constantly throughout the New Testament. And here's a moment of it where Paul comes down and he says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged, that we may be mutually encouraged, basically saying you have some spiritual gift to give me as well. We may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, by each other's faith. Guys, this shows the importance of being in healthy community, that if the apostle Paul says, man, I've heard of your faith and I want to be around your faith, um, that's one of the reasons why I want to go. Um, man, that's, that's a reason to, um, be in community that you would be encouraged and edified and been, be given a spiritual gift to strengthen and edify you for mutual encouragement by each other in faith. Like that's awesome. Both yours and mine. 
um, that, that when you enter into community, wherever that may be, it could be on a missions trip. It could be at a local church. It could be uh, just hanging out with some other believer friends. You have something to give and you have something to receive from everybody. Um, I do not want you to be unaware. This is in verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some. Yeah, right here. Uh, that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So he's also seeing what they're hearing about what they're doing there in Rome that that missionally he wants to go there. So for community, communing with this group of believers, he wants to go to Rome that he can encourage and strengthen them and they can encourage and strengthen him and his faith. Um, but also missionally, he wants to be a part of what they're doing. He wants to see Rome changed. Um, and probably, probably one of the reasons for this, um, there was actually this, this building, um, this structure in the middle of Rome and it was referred to as the center. Um, there's some probably Latin word for it or whatever, but, um, I read it somewhere, but I can't remember these words. They're crazy. Um, Not crazy, just different. So this structure was actually set to be the center of the Roman Empire. And it was there as just sort of this point of reference that everyone living in Rome would realize you are at the center of it all. Um, And so strategically, we see him saying, man, I want to go to where Rome believes the center of the universe is um, in their pride. But, but I want to I be a part of what God's doing there. I want to go reap, reap some of the harvest with you, among you, um, and among the rest of the Gentiles. Um, that this was a strategic place to go and, and preach the gospel. And actually, we see in scripture that, that Paul, his mission was eventually to get all the way to Spain, and he saw Rome as this uh, the forward operating base for the gospel, really. Um, and of course, the reason is Rome was the empire at the time. They saw themselves as the center of their empire. Um, but also there were, if, if it says that the wealthy lived in, of course, these wild estates and those who were less wealthy lived in these apartments stacked on top of one another that would be above uh, like shops um, there in the city. And so it it's sort of like, I guess, Washington, D.C. and New York City and probably a little bit of Vegas mixed in there too because it, it was pretty depraved. Um, it, we think our, in our culture today that that like America's going to hell in a handbasket or whatever. Um, it was worse in Rome. It was just worse in Rome. And so if you can imagine like New York City, Washington, D.C., because there was a lot of political power there, too. Um, and like Las Vegas, Nevada, all mixed into one city at the time. It would be sort of like the culmination of all those. Um and I am under obligation to Greeks 
and to barbarians, both to wise and to foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So, so he's eager to go to Rome and preach the gospel because there are both Greeks and barbarians, um, wise and foolish. It was a melting pot of different places and cultures being the center of the Roman Empire. It was a strategic forward operating base for the gospel in Paul's eyes. Um, it, but, but he's drawn there by faith. So we see a number of different reasons. He wants to be in, encouraged by the community there and to be a part of encouraging the community there. He wants to be a part of this place missionally that, that he would see the gospel come to this um, wild, outrageous center of the Roman Empire um, and then that the gospel could be progressed past that place all the way to Spain um, was really his end goal. It's sad that he never made it past Rome. Um, but it made it there now. Today, there are people in Spain who know Jesus, who have experienced the power and the person of Jesus. So praise God for that. All the way here in the United States, uh, we have experienced the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus on the cross and have been transformed by his spirit. Amen. So a few takeaways. Community is important. Community is important to give and to encourage one another. Um, You have something to give and to encourage. You have a spiritual gift to impart, to strengthen others, to edify others. Um, And you have been called um, to be a part of the body of Christ. And there's also a mission to share the gospel with anyone and everyone that everyone um, has been called to know this goes into the great commission, go into all the, all the nations, um, uh, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit, teaching them the things that I have commanded. This is Jesus saying this, that we would go into the world and make followers of him, not followers of ourselves. Again, fighting that leadership monster, equalizing the playing field. We all have something to give to one another, but Jesus is ultimately our leader. um, And he's the one that we follow. But I want to hone in on this idea of faith. And faith is so important. This has continued to come up, so I cannot ignore it. Um, Realizing that Paul is wanting to go here. The reasons why he wants to go here is because there's a clear pathway um, to having this kind of faith, faith that would echo into all the world. Uh, we're doing devotionals with some of the interns at the at the church, um, which has been awesome. We've been in Revelation. And in reading the what Jesus is saying to the church in Smyrna, um, it says this in chapter two, verse nine. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear that you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days, you will have tribulation. So this is some pretty serious stuff. They're going to be thrown into prison. Um, they're being slandered by uh, uh, obviously a group of devout Jews who will not see the person of Jesus as their Messiah. And it says, be faithful 
unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The crown of life. We see this great reward in the midst of this tremendous suffering. He says, be faithful. Be faithful. Uh, and then how we see again in James this idea of the, the crown of life, which is uh, one of the rewards that we see from Jesus. This, this isn't salvation itself. This is a crown of life. But blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So that steadfastness is still encompassing that idea of faithfulness. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Again, we see that. So how do we hold true to our faith? And this is, this is something that Paul knew when he went there. Um, in order to have tremendous faith, faith that is echoing into the rest of the world, right? Something needs to happen. Um, but it's not our work. In Hebrews 12, it says this, therefore, since you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he was going there to be surrounded by these people. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely. So they have obviously laid aside their weights and their sins, looking to Jesus so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the key, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So no matter what was going on, discrepancies between Jew and Gentile, how do we live out the law today? Has it all been fulfilled? Has it not? How do we interact with what God has asked us to do? Part of the Great Commission is doing the things that I have commanded. What are the things that are still lasting that I have commanded, right? Uh, we can find that in scripture, but they were still trying to sort this out. But both Jew and Gentile were looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Do you see that? So the faith that we have in trusting in Jesus, it is founded and it is perfected in Jesus. So the reason why Paul was drawn to this group of people is because he knew at the core of this group of people, they were looking to Jesus for their all. They had set aside their sin. They had repented, laid off the weight, like thrown off the weight, right? And now they are looking to Jesus and their faith is being amplified because Jesus is powering their faith. It goes on to say, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus at the right hand of God has, has for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. So we look at Jesus. He sends his spirit inside of us, giving us the strength uh, to have faith. And he amplifies that faith to the point that, yeah, it will echo in all the world. If we are looking to him and trusting in him in with a repentant heart, not turning back to sin, but we look to Jesus. And no matter what suffering may come, um, that is where we are unified. And that is where this group of people would be unified. Um, and we're going to see Paul dip into this quite a bit where he's, he's trying to iron out some of the discrepancies. Um, but this is an important reminder, even today, as we're, we have disunity uh, 
in America, um, uh, especially today, whether it's racial, cultural, um, political disunity, um, even even in the church, we we are so disunified in the way that we we look at each other, we judge one another, we we call out one another instead of going to one another, we jump on social media and we do it in, instead of hey picking up the phone or sending an email or a text, private email or a text. We like to call one another out, and that's just the culture that we live in. And it's important to remember that the book of Romans, as he knows that this disparity has happened in this church, he's writing this theological treaty is what it is. It's a theological treaty leveling the playing field and saying, this is what is consistent with all of you. You have, you were dead in your trespasses. And we're going to see the first part of the book is talking about the wrath and the judgment of God and how, uh, how how we interacted with that before um, we were saved by him. And then the righteousness of God, that the righteousness of God is not the judgment itself, but the righteousness of God has now been imputed to us, given to us by him, his, the work person and work of Jesus and by the spirit of God. And that's, that's really what the book is about. Um, And just to sort of like emphasize his heart and where he's coming from in Ephesians two, let me read this to you because, because this is a good reminder of, of sort of where unity comes from um, and how Paul is looking to unify this church. It says in verse 11, Ephesians two, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promise, the covenant's promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the fl- in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself a new man a place uh, in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross by killing thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If that's not hitting you, um, I encourage you to go back and read that. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11 through the rest of the chapter. What is being said there 
is that the gospel and the person of Jesus is what reconciles us all, unites us all, abolishes hostility and brings peace among us. That we are all made one man, um, one one tribe um, through the person and the work of Jesus and, and by him placing his delight in us. Let's be encouraged by that. Um, continue to read the book of Romans. Um, I encourage you to dig in. Um, we're going to be reading through uh, a little bit more of Romans chapter one. So if you continue to refresh your mind um, as you go throughout this week and read that chapter, that's great. You get ahead of the curve. I pray that this was a blessing to you. Love you guys. Until next time, looking forward to it.